beautiful picture that our sins held Jesus to the cross as we mocked and we cried out to him. And yet, and as he says, it's a finished. It is in that that we have life. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us? I love that hymn. Um, children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Sorry, that was, I just love that. We are continuing in the book of Matthew. Matthew 3, verse 13 through 17. This is the baptism of Jesus. We looked at John the Baptist last week, and now we will look at Jesus' baptism. So let's read here, Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Last week we considered the ministry of John. He was to prepare the way for Jesus. He spoke with such power that from all around people came to hear him. As far as Jerusalem and throughout Judea, some even went as far as to think that John was the Messiah that was to come. But John knew he was not. He was telling of the Messiah's coming. He was calling the people to repentance. And as they came, he baptized them. This was a sign of their repentance. For thousands of years, water has been used to remove dirt. For John... Baptism spelled the repentance that removes the defilement of guilt and sin. And in the midst of John's ministry, in the midst of the baptisms that he's performing, we have Jesus. Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, comes to John. He who was without sin, who would never sin, comes to John to have this sign of repentance put upon him. What is going on here? I often, lately at least, since I've been married, I've watched a lot of Law and Order. <laughs> a lot of Law and Order. Luann likes Law and Order. I like it too. I, I was thinking about Law and Order. You think of other kind of those similar type shows or movies, and sometimes you get into situations, these hostage situations, and you hear maybe someone say something like this, take me in their place. <coughs> take me instead of them. And I think that we have, or I know that we have something similar going on here. So as we come to look at this text, I want us to see three things. First, I want us to see the interaction between Jesus and John. Second, we'll see the baptism of Jesus. And finally, we'll, we'll see Jesus and his people. So let's first look at Jesus and John. Jesus came with the intention to be baptized by John. And we know that John knows who Jesus is. He is, John has been in our last uh, sermon in the, in the previous text here, 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. John knows that Jesus is him. He knows he is the Messiah. He knows he is the one to come and save his, the people from their sins. He knows that Jesus has no need of repentance or the baptism that comes with repentance. So as Jesus comes to John and asks for this baptism, John protests based upon three things. First, he says, I need to be baptized by you. John knows that he is the lesser person. He even said this last week. He said, one is coming who I'm not even worthy to hold his sandals. He knows that Jesus is greater than him. This is the message he had been preaching. Because of this, John does not want to baptize Jesus. But he also knows that he offers a lesser baptism. Last week we saw that John said, I baptize with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus offers a better baptism, John says. It's not just with mere water, but with Holy Spirit and with fire. Why should one who can give these things be baptized by a lesser means? But finally, he knows that Jesus has no need of water baptism. John knows that Jesus has never sinned. He is the one who offers forgiveness of sins through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Why would Jesus seek a baptism that he does not need? Immediately, we see Jesus' response. He says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. We begin here by, it says, let it be so now. Jesus knows that his time has not yet come. His earthly ministry has not yet started. It is still John's time. John is in the phase of preparing the way for the Lord. Lord, in due time, Jesus will start his ministry. He will start his earthly ministry, but the time has not yet come. Jesus still has to go and teach, heal, suffer, die, and rise again. But Jesus goes on and says, For thus it is fitting to us to fulfill all righteousness. This baptism must take place to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus knows that for him to be baptized by John is in, in accordance with the will of his Father. God in heaven wants this to happen. In Jesus' baptism, the will of the Father is fulfilled. But why? Why is all righteousness fulfilled in this? And I think we see the answer in this. By receiving baptism, Jesus identifies with his people in their sin. I have started reading to the girls at night the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the C.S. Lewis book. And we, if you've read that book or you've seen the movie, you know that Edmund along the way is kind of the shady character. He's kind of in cahoots with the queen. 
But at some point, Aslan comes to take him back. Aslan, who is the God figure. And Aslan makes a deal with the queen that he will come to the stone table and he will take the punishment for Edmund. Aslan puts himself in Edmund's place. As John is preaching repentance, he knows that the nation of Israel needs repentance. Jesus is part of that nation. He was a Jew. So he comes to John as a part of the nation of Israel to repent. He relinquishes his rightful honor to embrace his people's shame. If John, we could say, is a prophet, which he is, if he is a leader in Israel, then Jesus will submit to his call to repentance, whether he personally needs to repent or not. In this act, Jesus is confessing Israel's sin to prepare the way for his kingdom. It is a very powerful thing that is going on here. And I think it's something we can kind of overlook. That Jesus, as he comes to John, is identifying with their people in their sin. Not because he has sinned, but because he comes to remove their sin. So we see the, the, the relationship to, from John to Jesus. But now let us look at the actual baptism there are several characteristics of Jesus' baptism that we see here. Three things happen. First, the heavens were opened up. Second, the Spirit of God descends like a dove. And third, a voice from heaven came and spoke. So let's look at each of these things as we consider Jesus' baptism. First, the heavens were opened up. This is a sign of deliverance. We can think of Moses and the Red Sea as, the, as Israel was fleeing from Egypt and the waters opened up and the waters were a sign, opening up were a sign of the deliverance of the people from Egypt. We could also look at, this is true for Noah, as the waters opened up and separated and dry land came. This opening up was a sign of deliverance. God was stepping into human history and he was opening and the clouds were opening up and he was showing that deliverance was coming. Immediately as he comes out of the water, the heavens were open to him. But second, we see the Spirit of God descending like the dove. The dove is a sign of peace. Again, we see this with Noah. As the floodwaters were receding, the dove brought to him the branch. We know that Jesus will burn away sin, but he does so without causing harm. He burns out the impurities, but he does not destroy the whole. The Spirit of, of God comes in peace upon him. But also we see here that the Holy Spirit is empowering Jesus for his ministry. This is the same Spirit that empowers his disciples later on. It is the same spirit that empowers us today. So how then are we to understand the spirit of God empowering us? Baptism does not signify or guarantee that this power comes upon you. If baptism is done 
hypocritically or faithlessly, God is not obliged to add his blessing, his grace to it. Parents can present their children just because it is customary, which is not the right reason. Baptism is not a magical act, as some would have you believe. It is not the magic bowl that if you're just baptized, and some claim this, if you're just baptized, then you're okay. But it is also not an empty ritual. Baptism confirms and strengthens his covenantal and forgiving grace to us. The Christian faith is indeed more than just theological truth and moral precepts. It is power. Jesus said that he would send the Spirit as a helper to us. It is through the power of Spirit that we can gain a grip on our sin. Baptism reminds us that God gives us strength to make it possible to overcome our sin. In Jesus' baptism, the Spirit comes with power. It enables Christ to do his ministry. And the same is true for us in our baptism. In a rightly administered baptism, power comes and makes it possible to overcome sin. It is not a magical act, but it is not empty ritual either. Next we see that a voice spoke from heaven. It says this, that the Spirit of, uh, after the Spirit of God came down like a dove, the voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This declaration from God concludes this first phase of the revelation of the identity of Jesus. We'll see throughout the book of Matthew that the identity of Jesus will continue to be revealed. We've seen already that he is the son of David. He is the son of Abraham. He is Emmanuel, God with us, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. But now we see that he is the unique and beloved son of God. He was sent with a purpose, and God marks him out in this. Before all the people gathered, he marks them out. In essence, he's saying, if Jesus is essential to the Father's love and his plan for history, then opponents of Jesus cannot reject him and please God the Father at the same time. The Jewish leaders we knew were gathered, and he marks them and says, this is my beloved son, If you do not follow him, you cannot follow me. Jesus is the ultimate ruler who will usher in justice and peace. Jesus was the son obedient to the point of death. He was obedient in his baptism and he will be obedient in his death and resurrection. We see here in the baptism of Jesus that it is one more step in the preparation to the beginning of his earthly ministry. Next week we'll look at his temptation. And after that he will begin to call his first disciples. It is important though as we consider this that we see how God is working through his son. How he is marking him out so that there will be no confusion of who he is. Jesus is God come incarnate to identify with his people. 
to forgive his people of their sins, to work this forgiveness out. So then how are we to understand our relationship to Christ? This is our last point. I want us to see today Jesus and his people. How are we to understand our own baptism? Baptism represents a cleansing union with Christ. In our baptism, we, have a, we identify ourselves with Christ by having union with him. It signifies that a man or a woman has received Jesus as Messiah, Savior, and Lord. When we baptize, we say we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But if you look as it says this in Scripture, it's more of a sense not so much of in, but into. You have been baptized into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, into the name of the Holy Spirit. And in this you have union with the triune God. We have a beautiful picture of this here in Jesus' baptism. That as he's baptized, we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit descending, and we have God the Father proclaiming that this is his Son. If we are baptized into Christ, we have put on Christ. Paul tells us in Romans 6.4 that we are baptized into his death, yes. And then in 6.5, we are also baptized into his resurrection. To be baptized into Christ is to be united to him. In his life, in his death, and his resurrection. So then what is the practice of baptism in the church today? What is it that we do when we gather here and baptize? And so I want us to take a little time to explore this. So first we'll ask, I want to do this by asking a series of questions. First, where do we baptize? Jesus ordained baptism as a sign of repentance We see this beginning here with John. We'll see this continue as we go throughout the New Testament. It was a sign of repentance, of cleansing faith, of union with Christ. Baptism, therefore, is to take place in the setting of public worship. We are to profess before the watching world our union with our Savior. So when do we baptize? We baptize when with understanding the adult professes faith in Christ. And we also baptize children in infancy. For our children are the Lord's from the beginning. And we'll talk more about this in a second. So how do we baptize? There are several things that we're commanded to do. We are to baptize with conviction. Not because of peer pressure or family pressure. To be baptized. We are to baptize in the name of the triune God into the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, and into the name of the Holy Spirit. We are to baptize with water. Many uh, get hung up on the mode of baptism. Some immerse and others sprinkles. But the word baptizo, the Greek word, can mean both. It can mean either or. Both are valid forms of baptism. So then who is to be baptized? There are two times at which we baptize. Adults, when they come to saving faith, we are commanded this in the Great Commission. Go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, into the name of the Son, and into the name of the Holy Spirit. Well, we, as Presbyterians, also baptize the children of believing adults. So why do we do this? 
We must have an understanding of the Old Testament to know why we believe this. It is the sign of the entry into the covenant people of God. In the Old Testament, this sign was circumcision. The sign today is baptism. We could go to Colossians and see this. That you have been baptized into Christ. Into the circumcision, not of blood, but now of the heart. The Bible, we will say, does not explicitly tell us to baptize infants. But we take it from natural inference. In Acts 16, 1 Corinthians 1, Paul talks about household baptisms. That an individual in their household was baptized. And we know throughout Scripture that the Lord chose to work in families. If we go to the Old Testament, we look at Abraham, we see that the Lord chose Abraham so that he will direct his children and his household and to keep the, to keep the way of the Lord. The Lord commanded Abraham that all Israel was to place the sign of the covenant on their infant sons. The sign of circumcision was given and it showed that these children were part of the covenant. They were part of the nation Israel. But we go and we look at Paul and we know that not all Israel, the nation, was true Israel, the people of God. As we go into the New Testament, we see that the Lord spelled out changes between the Old and New Covenant. He repealed food laws. He removes temple sacrifices. If children were no longer part of the covenant family, the Lord would have said so, but he didn't. In Peter, Peter in Acts 2 preaches for everyone to repent and to be baptized. And he goes on to say, for the promise is for you and for your children. This is at Pentecost. Pentecost was a gathering of the Jewish nation. When they think of promise for you and for your children, they would have thought of circumcision. This would have been very clear to the Jewish people who have heard it. The promise continue. The new covenant is the same as the old covenant, that he is still a family covenantal God. Presbyterians baptize children partly in an act of dedication. But then it is required of the children to claim or complete their baptism by a profession of faith when they are spiritually mature. That is why we as Presbyterians baptize infants, because they are part of the covenantal community of God. So finally, I want to see why do we baptize? Well, first and foremost, and most practically, we baptize because Jesus commanded it. Jesus, through baptism, intends to bless us. Yes, it is a, it is a sign of repentance and cleansing. It reminds us of the guilt that has been removed. It is a sign of God's power. We have the power to obey. We are baptized into Christ. We are united into him. It is a sign of belonging. We often feel that we are alone, but baptism tells us that we are not alone. We need not be alone. We are part of a community, a covenantal community. And baptism teaches Christian parents to hope. To hope in the Lord and his body. Our fellow Christians. We are not on our own. 
We belong to the Lord. We belong to his family. What is foreshadowed in Jesus' baptism that we see here in the book of Matthew has been completed in Christ. Jesus here in Matthew, in his baptism, is identifying with his people. He's saying, you nation are called to repentance, and so I come and repent for you on your behalf. And we see this fulfilled in his death. You nation, you people of God, have sinned against God. And the punishment of that sin must be accounted for. And so he goes to the cross. He suffers the penalty of our sin. He reconciles us to his Father. Baptism, rightly understood fully claimed, gives us confidence and hope. At each step, baptism, initiated by John, comes to its fullness through the work of Jesus, applied to believers both individually and in the household of faith. What a joy we have in this, that Jesus comes, he who has no need of repentance, and repents for us. We have seen here Jesus and John. Jesus baptized and Jesus as his people. Jesus comes to John to fulfill all righteousness. And we know that this is true, that Jesus in his life, his death, and his resurrection fulfills all righteousness. All that is required of the law is fulfilled by Christ. He identifies with his people even though he has no need of repentance. He came and lived and died for our sins. Today we are baptized. We continue to be baptized as a sign of this relationship of Christ to his people. As a sign even further back uh, to Abraham and the people of God. Let us remember the baptism of our Savior. Let us remember our own baptism. Let us be renewed and refreshed. And the good and awesome promises of God. This is what we do as we come and baptize. Baptism for either a a grown convert or for a child is not only for the one being baptized, but it's for all those who are witnessing it, that we can remember the promises of God. That we can remember that his promises are all yes and amen. That not one promise, not one thing that he has told us he will do has not come to pass. Baptism is to be an encouragement to us that we know that we have a good and gracious God. So I pray, brothers and sisters, that we would remember the baptism of our Savior, that we would come and see what he has done for us as he comes and identifies with us, his sinful people, knowing that we are not left to our own, we are not left to the punishment which we deserve. But Christ comes and fulfills all righteousness for us that we may have reconciliation with our Father. Let's pray. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you indeed sent your Son, dear Savior, that you willingly came, that even in your baptism baptism, you identify with us 
you who has no need of repentance has become repentance. May we be reminded daily of this. May we take comfort and solace in you at all times, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please stand as we sing the first few verses of Behold the Lamb as we prepare our hearts for communion. Please stand.